Chapter Nine of the Statement of Stella Maberly by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine. There was an interval after that as to which my memory is almost a blank. I can only just recall a long, confused nightmare through which I was making the most superhuman efforts to prevent Hugh's marriage, pursuing him and Evelyn to the furthest ends of the earth, always on the verge of overtaking them always hindered by every conceivable obstacle and delay, trying to rouse everyone I met to see Hugh's danger and help me to avert it, and telling my story over and over again. And then, just as I seemed to have succeeded, hearing those dreadful bells which told me that it was too late. This must have gone on for some weeks, for when the fever left me and I was once more able to notice the common things around me, I saw that the roses I had last seen climbing round my casement had turned to scarlet pods, and the buds were too shrivelled and nipped to unfold themselves. From my window I looked out upon a late autumn landscape of russet and orange, and the lawn was littered with fallen leaves, and the paths white with hoar-frost. I knew I must have had a long illness, but I was too weak and my mind too sluggish as yet to make any effort to remember what had brought it on. I was content for the time to lead a sort of animal existence and to find a negative comfort and even enjoyment in the little luxuries, the trivial incidents of convalescence. And then, when it all came back, Evelyn's death and strange resuscitation, her treachery and malignity, and the arts by which she had beguiled my lover from me, it seemed too fantastic, too unreal to be anything but the perverted imaginings of delirium. I knew that Hugh and Evelyn were married, but I no longer cared. My passion for Hugh seemed to have burnt itself out. Even my terror of Evelyn was left me. Oh, so at least I persuaded myself. As I grew stronger, I asked for news of them, and found that they had already returned from their wedding journey, and were now at Laleham Court. It seemed to me a little strange that Evelyn had not yet come over to see me, and I said as much to Mrs. Maitland, and told her how I was longing to see her again. This was quite true, for I was anxious to be quite sure that my hallucinations were indeed cured, and I could not be that until I met Evelyn. Mrs. Maitland put me off with palpable excuses. It was better that I should not see Evelyn just yet until I was perfectly strong and well again. I am almost well now, I said. I am quite able to see her if she cared enough about me to come. To this Mrs. Maitland replied that Evelyn herself had not been strong enough to go out at all of late. Then let me go and see her, I pleaded. "'You think so you'd better not meet just yet,' she said. "'He is quite distressed about the change in her. "'It's making him absolutely miserable.' "'You're keeping something from me,' I said suddenly. "'Don't you see, unless you want me to be ill again, "'you'd better be quite frank. "'I have had ideas, strange, horrible fancies about Evelyn, "'and they will never quite leave me until I see her again.' "'Oh, my dear,' she said, I think I can guess from certain things you talked of in your delirium what those ideas are. You seem to be under the delusion that you'd given Evelyn chloral on some occasion and that she had died of it. Oh, surely you know now that it was all a dream. 
that nothing of that sort ever happened well isn't it true then that you came downstairs that evening last june and asked me if you might give evelyn a few drops of the chloral you knew i had and whether it would do her any harm and that i said it would not did i imagine that oh no my dear that is all true i thought she seemed excited and wanted something to make her sleep oh, god help me i cried you brought it all back i knew that chloral was dangerous to anyone with a weak heart i had read it in some medical book and i let you give it to her and i remember now oh you poor thing and you've been allowing this to prey on you oh when if i had only known i could have relieved your mind at once why my dear you've nothing to accuse yourself of the fact is i never gave evelyn any chloral at all when i went into her room she was already dozing and i waited until she'd fallen into a good sound sleep and then i put out the lights and came away without even opening the bottle luckily i believe i can prove it she went out and presently returned with a small fluted file see here is the very bottle with the cover still round the stopper just as it left the chemist oh now my dear i hope you realise you've been tormenting yourself for nothing at all oh if only i had known this at the time i cried why why didn't you tell me well evelyn told you that morning that the bottle was in my keeping and afterwards she expressly warned me not to mention the subject again in case you might ask me to give it back to you we both hoped you'd forgotten all about it oh of course dear evelyn had no more idea than i had that you were brooding over it like this or we should have put it right at once the good simple-minded lady was under the impression she had set my mind entirely at rest whereas she had only succeeded in convincing me that the thing which i was again beginning to consider a delusion was an awful reality what did it signify that the chloral had not been administered it was none the less true that i had found evelyn dead the next morning that in my madness i had invoked some hellish spirit to save me from the consequences of my supposed guilt i saw now how i had been tricked and betrayed from the first how the cunning fiend had used my confession against me compelling me in self-protection to serve her wicked purpose perhaps even if i had known the truth then and refused to acknowledge her at the first the result would have been the same but at least i should have been spared the load of needless guilt and shame the humiliation of feeling myself indebted to such protection as hers oh, how i hated this merciless devil for all the wanton unnecessary suffering she had made me endure and how it maddened me to think of what hugh dallas must be going through by this time if i had been eager to see them before judge how intensely i desired it now how i burned to discover for myself how far she had revealed her true nature to him and how he had been affected by so terrible a disenchantment but i have considerable power of self-control when i choose to exercise it and i knew how necessary it was for his sake to disguise my anxiety i managed to make mrs maitland believe that i had entirely thrown off what she would have considered my delusion 
outwardly i was quite calm and i was soon allowed to come downstairs and resume my share in the quiet everyday routine of the house working and reading and walking with mrs maitland as i had once done with evelyn i discovered that she and hugh were living at laleham court in the strictest seclusion no callers had succeeded in seeing her since her return it was understood that her health was not strong enough to allow her to accept invitations and he himself was said to be too much concerned about his wife to leave her except when absolutely compelled by his duties to me all this was full of sinister significance and only heightened the suspense in which i lived but i bided my time feeling certain that sooner or later hugh and i would meet and the first glance at his face would tell me all i longed to know and one afternoon i was told that he was in the drawing-room and wished to see me and though my heart leapt wildly at the news and my head swam at the thought that i was really to see him at last really to have an answer to the fear that gave me no rest i went in and met him with perfect self-possession how woefully he had changed there was a grey pallor on his face that made him look prematurely old and haggard his eyes had an expression of suppressed despair his manner was restless and nervous it was only too plain that already the iron had entered into his soul and that if possible he was as wretched as i and yet stricken and changed as he was the sight of him revived the old mad passion which i thought was dead i loved him more intensely and devotedly than ever i would have died for him willingly if my death could give him back all this fiend had robbed him of the beginning of our conversation was commonplace and conventional enough he said he was glad to find that i had so completely recovered from my illness i replied that i was perfectly well now but was sorry to hear such unfavourable accounts of evelyn i watched his face narrowly as i spoke and saw a spasm come across it at her name i am unhappy about her he said more unhappy and anxious every day i can hardly speak of it oh do you think i don't know how terribly you're suffering i said gently do you think i don't feel for you oh god knows it is hard he said with a half-groan when i look back on what she was and what i hoped she would be and know what i can't help knowing struggle against it as i may and i'm so helpless so utterly powerless to keep this misery from coming upon me i can only wait and feel there is no hope she talks sometimes as if we were to be together for many years to come it's almost more than i can bear the irony of it all oh but i didn't mean to speak of all this I, I have a message to you from her she is very anxious to see you again i had to promise i would tell you and bring you back with me if you feel able to come <laughs> what new device i wondered had she invented to torture me i could see he only delivered the message with the greatest reluctance as if he would have spared me if it had been in his power i will gladly come i said if you wish it if you think i can be of use to you i did my best to dissuade her he said i was afraid of the consequences if i let you see her just now but she has so set her heart on seeing you that i dared not risk refusing her 
and now i have seen you i can't think there's any danger only you must promise me that you will say nothing to disturb her above all you must not let her know that i have spoken to you like this can i trust you are you quite sure that you can depend on yourself his voice shook with an anxiety he dared not confess in words i knew well that it was not for himself he feared and it touched me more than i can say to feel that he could think of me just then you need not be afraid on my account i said i can't explain it but i feel as if in some way i don't understand at present i shall be able to help you by this meeting perhaps even free you from this awful shadow that is darkening your life it's too late for that he said sadly when you see her you will understand what little hope there is for me can you come with me now i have the phaeton here and it need not take you very long to get ready in a few minutes more we were in the carriage together on our way to laleham neither of us spoke much or except on ordinary topics it seemed as if we both shunned by common consent any further reference to the subject that was really engrossing our thoughts but to me there was an exquisite pathetic happiness in being with him and knowing that though he could not tell me so in words he understood me now as he had never done before that we were drawn to one another by the fellowship of secret suffering and all the way i was racking my brain to find some means of delivering him i felt prepared to run any risk make any sacrifice if only i could induce the evil spirit to give up her prey and yet what arguments or threats or prayers that i could use would have any effect upon her i saw how unlikely it was that i could prevail against such an antagonist but nevertheless i looked forward to the contest without fear with even a strong hope that i might be enabled to find some vulnerable place in her armour hugh drove fast and it was still quite light when we entered the gates of a park and reached the stately elizabethan house which was laleham court as soon as we were inside he led the way up a wide staircase and along a corridor to evelyn's sitting-room she was lying on a couch near the fire and the face she turned to us as we entered told its own tale all the softness and girlishness had gone from it there were circles round the eyes which glittered with a strange brilliance her cheeks were sharpened in outline and sunken the mouth had a hard drawn look it was terrible to see how soon the evil soul had set its impress on the features that had once been so fair she had not lost her old malicious pleasure in torturing me by mock endearments oh, dearest stella she began i have thought of you so often and longed to come over and see you but they wouldn't let me so as soon as i heard from aunt lucy that you were quite well again i insisted on hugh's bringing you here i have been ill myself as i dare say you know but i'm ever so much better now only rather weak still i really believe poor hugh fancied he was going to lose me at one time but i tell him i'm not so easily got rid of i'm much too fond of laleham and perhaps a little of him too to bear to give it all up just yet i mean to live for years and years to come i glanced at hugh whose face she could not see and the agony i read there wrung my heart 
"'I'm glad you sent for me,' I said quietly. "'I have been wishing to see you, too, for a long time. "'We have a great deal to say to each other.' "'Yes,' she said, "'a great deal. "'You, you won't mind leaving Stella with me for half an hour, will you? "'It's so long since we had a real talk.' "'I think,' he said slowly, "'I had better stay and see that you don't tire yourself.' "'Oh, what nonsense!' she exclaimed with a touch of anger. "'I'm not an invalid now, and it won't tire me to talk to Stella.' "'Then,' he said with a fourth playfulness, "'I'll stay to protect Miss Maberly. "'She's been ill too, remember?' "'Oh, can't you see you're not wanted?' she said. Oh, Hugh, how dense you're getting. I insist on your leaving us to our two selves at once. I tell you I wish it, and you know how dangerous it is to refuse me anything I've particularly set my heart on. Go, I whispered, as he still seemed to hesitate. You will only do harm by opposing her. You need not be afraid to leave me here. You will not forget my warning he replied in an undertone. You will be careful, will you not? Oh, you may trust me, I said. I'm not the weak, unstrung creature I used to be. I daren't thwart her now, he said, half to himself. And after all, what possible danger? He went up to Evelyn and kissed her, which I knew he would not have done but for his anxiety on my account. There, he said. You shall have your own way. I'll leave you for a little while, but remember, I shall be within call if you want me. This last sentence, as I perfectly understood, was really meant for my ear. He obviously suspected that she had some evil object to gratify, and he wished me to feel that help was at hand. <laughs> he thinks I can't possibly get on long without him, she exclaimed with a mocking little laugh. But I knew Stella before I knew you, my dear Hugh. So you mustn't be too conceited. And now go down to your own den, and don't come back until you're sent for. He looked searchingly at me once more, and then, seeing that I remained quite calm and mistress of myself, he went, though I fancied that he still had misgivings. There was no need, for I felt absolutely unafraid, as if in some way the spell that Evelyn had exercised over me all those wretched weeks had been broken. As soon as he had gone I turned to Evelyn and fixed my eyes steadily on her face. "'I'm wondering what you want with me now,' I said quietly. "'What made you send him to fetch me like this?' "'What reason could I have?' was the smooth, false answer except that I was longing to see you again, dearest Stella, and satisfy myself that you were quite strong and well again. Oh, yes, I'm strong now, I said. You cannot torment me any longer as you used to. I know at last what you cunningly kept from me, that I never was the murderess by proxy you taunted me with being, that the chloral was never given. She started. The chloral? "'Why, of course it was not,' she cried. "'Oh, Stella, can't you forget all those dreadful ideas? "'Don't you understand how incapable I am of tormenting or taunting you now? 
I'm sure you wouldn't wish to distress me by talking like this, when you see that I'm not quite strong enough to bear it yet. <laughs> You're trying to delude me again, to put me off my guard. But you will not, I said. I am not to be deceived. Even though you look like a woman who is dying fast, I know very well you will not die yet. Die? she repeated with a shudder. Oh, no. Oh, no, I can't die now. Not so soon. I won't die. Life is so beautiful. I couldn't leave you. Do you mean, I said, that you love him? You? Do I love him? Oh, better and better every day I live. Oh, you did not love him when you bewitched him into caring for you. You meant to drag him down to your level and delight in his degradation. And now you have discovered that though you may break his heart, blacken and befoul all that he held fair, you cannot debase him. His nature is too high for that. <laughs> and so you have ended by loving him when his own love is dead, changed to loathing and hate. Yes, you've been caught in your own devilish snare. The life you snatched at so greedily has become a worse hell than that you escaped from. There is a God after all, and he is punishing you here in the world where you have no right. Stella, she cried, trembling, I cannot let you say these violent things to me. They're horrible and untrue. Please, please go away if you can't be kind and gentle. You're making me ill. Have you no pity? What pity had you on me, I said. You came between Hugh and me, and you took him away from me, did your best to wreck his life and mine. If it's in my power now to make you suffer in your turn, why should I spare you? There was a small mirror lying on a table close by, and I took it up and held it before her. Look in this, I said. Is that the face that bewitched Hugh? The face is what the soul makes of it, and even in this short time yours has begun to betray you. You boasted that your beauty would keep him your slave in spite of all he knew. And see, even your beauty is changing, passing, perishing. Soon the terrible signs he has learned to read in those lines and hollows will be written more plainly still, so that none can mistake their meaning. Will that be better than death itself? She pushed the mirror away with a passionate gesture. I don't want to look, she cried. I know I'm altered, but I'm not going to die. And Hugh loves me. He does, whatever you may say. Why should I care? Only that you should be so cruel to me, Stella. Just when I thought, oh, it's that that almost breaks my heart. <laughs> Her grief was so naturally feigned that for the moment I myself felt a prick of shame and compunction, as though it were some tender, innocent creature that I had been hurting, and not a corrupt and subtle spirit, baffled and in desperate straits, but still capable of evil. "'If I seem cruel,' I said, "'I have a motive. I want to make you see how worthless this life is you cling to so desperately.' that though you may not die, your life will only become a greater burden and misery every day you live. If you really and sincerely loved Hugh, you would prove it by setting him free. 
who knows that if you voluntarily quit this frame and return to your former state there may not be mercy and pardon for you even now what possible attraction can there be in such a life as yours life is sweet she replied i may never be what i was i may not have long to be here but i want to live as long as possible at the words a sudden idea came into my mind i saw at last a means of saving hugh you wish to live i said suppose you were offered not only life but health strength the beauty you value so much on one condition would you accept it listen to me i love hugh as you know but i am willing never to see him again to forfeit all hope of happiness here and for all i know hereafter if only i can feel that i have freed him from you for ever you say you love him but it's life you really love you dread going back to what you were this is my proposal to-night before the clock has struck twelve i promise that i will find some means of passing out of this body for ever leaving it for you to enter provided that you undertake to abandon your present form and never seek to entangle hugh in any way whatever do you agree she gave a sort of hysterical sob stella she cried you can't be in earnest surely you know that what you're saying is sheer madness oh i'm not mad i said you used to threaten to drive me into an asylum but you could not i am perfectly reasonable i'm not proposing anything that's impossible if you are able to reanimate one dead body you can surely take possession of mine after i have left it and it is young and strong it will live for years you will gain by such an exchange once more i ask you do you accept my terms she looked wildly all around her panting like a thing at bay what am i to say she cried yes uh, yes i accept I, I agree to anything anything will you swear to me by the power you serve that you will abandon this body to-night and that as stella maberley you will trouble hugh no more oh have i not said so she asked hoarsely now you are satisfied believe me something in her manner excited my suspicions how can i be sure you are not tricking me i said perhaps even this illness of yours is only some cunning device what if i kept my part of the compact and you broke yours and lived on to torture hugh and mock at me for being fool enough to imagine that any oath had power to bind you i believe you mean treachery i see it in your eyes oh, no no she cried wringing her hands indeed indeed i'm not treacherous don't frighten me any more stella only go now it occurred to me that there was an easy way of putting her to the test why should we wait i said why should we not both kill ourselves here now oh, 
not yet she said how can we we have no weapons oh did i not see some oriental swords and daggers on the wall in the corridor outside as i came here i asked yes she cried you'll find them at the end of the passage bring two or uh, i know where they are let me go and fetch them i laughed liar i said there are no weapons hanging there i said it to try you i know what was in your mind you would have locked yourself in here or rushed downstairs and given the alarm she sank into a seat trembling it doesn't matter i said i know what i wanted to know i've changed my mind my plan that we should both commit suicide was absurd i see that now i give it up her face relaxed oh, i was sure you'd see how impossible it was she said faintly and with difficulty oh i do see it i agreed you would never have killed yourself you refuse to release hugh you mean to go on torturing and maddening him as you tortured me for years but you shall not when i came here i thought that being a fiend in human form you couldn't be killed but if that was so you wouldn't be afraid of me and you are you are so i am going to try call for help if you like it'll be useless both these doors are bolted and locked and i have the keys she opened her dry lips as if to scream for help but her voice seemed paralysed by fear for no sound came from them as she crouched there with her great eyes fixed on me and her hands pressed close against her heart suddenly she made a spring towards the bell-rope but i was too quick for her before she could reach it i seized her slender neck with both my hands and forced her back upon the couch gripping her throat with all my might harder harder and harder still until she ceased to resist up to that moment i had not been certain that any force of mine could drive this devil forth against her will and half expected she'd escape and mock me after all but i felt armed with irresistible strength just then and soon sooner than i expected the thing was done as i relinquished my hold and the form sank down in a huddled heap among the cushions i had a vision of a shape with a wicked beautiful face that was not evelyn's distorted with impotent rage and terror and despair which stood there in the waning light and seemed to be striving to revenge itself upon me before it fled to its doom and i own that for one dreadful instant i was in deadly fear and then just as i gave myself up for lost the shape appeared to quiver and melt away into nothingness and i was alone with evelyn's dead body i raised it gently and arranged the cushions under the head so that she lay as if asleep exactly as she had lain that summer morning the face was calm and pure and sweet once more the very face of the girl i loved do you understand i whispered as i bent over her and kissed her softly on the forehead the evil thing has left you for ever you poor innocent clay sleep in peace for you are all evelyn's now 
Then I went out, and halfway down the corridor I met Hugh. He seemed glad to see me safe and unharmed. I was just coming up to carry you away, he said. I was getting anxious, but I might have known I could trust you. There's nothing wrong, he added. She, she's not worse. Oh, no, no, I said. She is well. Oh, quite well now, Hugh. Dear, dear Hugh, all this long misery is over for you and for me. I was determined to free you from the horror that has been hanging over you if I could. And God has helped me, Hugh. It is gone. Gone forever. He couldn't believe it at first. Gone? he cried. What do you mean? Oh, go to her, I said gently, and you will understand. I saw him rush to the door of her room and go in, and then, feeling that he must be left to himself just then, I went down the staircase and into a big hall which seemed to be used as a morning room. I could not rest. I paced up and down in a kind of mystical exaltation. The old portraits in rough and doublet looked down on me with grim approval from the walls. The armorial shields in the oriel window glowed like blood in the last gleams of the sunset. I heard bells being rung furiously, hurrying footsteps, cries and commotion. But no one came near me. And though I still felt no remorse, and knew that I had only done what was just and righteous, I began by degrees to be afraid of the solitude there in the slowly darkening hall. I wanted to see Hugh, to hear him thanking me for his deliverance, vowing to prove me guiltless in the eyes of all the world, to stand by me to the last. When once I had seen that in his face, as I did not doubt I should, the others might condemn me as a murderess, imprison me and take my life, and I should not care. I should have had my reward. At last I could not bear to be alone any longer. I felt I must go to Hugh. The old house had settled down into a dead stillness that yet was not quiet, only a breathless waiting for something that was about to happen. I passed into the entrance hall and met a footman coming down one of the passages with a lighted lamp. He started as he saw me, and his face went white, and he nearly dropped the lamp for terror. He had not been at the door when I arrived, and probably imagined I was a ghost. "'Where is your master?' I said. "'I am Miss Maberly, and I wish to see him.' Oh, "'Mr. Dallas is in the library, Miss,' he answered. "'But he doesn't wish to be disturbed just now.' I was bringing in this lamp, but he told me to take it away and leave him alone. Oh, he'll see me, I said. Show me where the library is. He put down the lamp and led the way to a door, which he tried to open. It's been locked since I went in, he said. Perhaps you haven't heard that there's trouble in the house, miss, he added in a lowered voice. Oh, I know, I replied, but Mr. Dallas will open the door to me. "'That'll do. You can go.' I knocked softly at the door. "'Hugh,' I said, "'I'm here. Stella, won't you let me in?' And there was silence for a moment, though I thought I heard him moving as if to open the door. And then a terrible sound rang out within the closed room, the report of a pistol, and I knew that my sacrifice had been in vain.' 
here this statement shall end i have had much to undergo since indignities of every kind confinement long and purposeless examinations odious charges and misconstructions and then the mockery of mercy which consigned me to the place where i am now and where i suppose i shall remain till death releases me but why should i write of it all nothing seems worth resenting telling remembering even that followed the terrible moment when i realised that you had deserted me leaving me to bear my penalty alone what led him to do so in the very hour of regaining his freedom and when he must have known that he was the one person whose evidence could have placed my conduct in its true light well, i do not understand i never shall understand here but i've never blamed him i feel certain that he could never have been a coward or intentionally disloyal and ungrateful to the woman who had risked everything for his sake it's far more probable that the evil spirit which hated me contrived to avenge her defeat by some last effort of devilish malignity and whatever the explanation may be i know that hugh will make it all clear to me himself some day when we are reunited and nothing wicked and malevolent can come near us any more and so i am seldom unhappy even in the daytime while the night no longer brings terror with it but only consolation and peace for although whenever i dream at all i am back at tanstead once more somehow it's always those days of early june that i live over again in the old garden and house the evelyn whom i find there is my dearest friend and the perfect sweetness of our intercourse is never marred by any haunting half-consciousness of misery and horror to come this is a mercy which i know i do not deserve and for which i trust i am not ungrateful and yet i long impatiently for the day when all suspense and uncertainty and bewilderment will end and i shall rest and understand for i am very weary of waiting end of chapter nine end of the statement of stella maberley